Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Warning, may contain disturbing content. Viewer discretion advised. People who have found a dead body, what's your story? Don't forget to like, subscribe and comment your own stories. Witnessed a car versus structure accident. Pulled over immediately, but the four teenagers in the car were already dead by the time I got my seatbelt undone. In fact, I originally thought there were only three victims because the fourth was shoved so far under the front seat. It was a bad day for so many people. Worked overnight in a grocery store. Saw an old lady in a motorized cart on the coffee aisle, thinking she might need help getting something from a higher shelf. It turned out she died while grocery shopping at 4 in the morning. This was 20 years ago but I guess I found a body and that this body had thrown itself off the seventh floor of the apartment building I lived in and landed eight feet in front of me as I was walking in. The body lifted its head and looked at me for a moment before laying its head back down and the astonishing amount of blood pooled around it. Him hitting the ground was the loudest sound I've ever heard, and I can still picture him making eye contact with me before laying his head down and dying. Lived in a smallish town at the time. There was a dead body in a car on our small company parking lot, which we passed by on a daily basis. It was the winter, and his seat was reclined, so visibility was poor, and we didn't notice it. We assumed it was a co-worker's car, or somebody left their car there as storage, as people sometimes do. Nope, a dead body was in it for like four months. It was cold out, so it wasn't too gnarly in there. Kind of unsettling thinking about laughing in the parking lot walking by a dead guy for months, but I'm kind of delicate, I guess. When I worked at a cemetery, we had some woods next to us, and being in Philly, we had a lot of homeless people camp out. Well, one day we are all leaving for the 4th of July weekend, and my boss noticed a tent, called the proper people and went on his way. Well, three of the hottest days of the year later, we all come back in on Tuesday, and wouldn't you know it, tent's still up. So we call it in and decide to check it out. Being a cemetery caretaker, you get to smell a lot of bad things, but getting close to this thing smelled like wet hot trash full of dead mice and maggots, but when we opened the tent, we found a man. Dead. Turned into a soup. The smell was enough to knock my boss back a few feet, and we both threw up instantly. Ran back a few yards and said fuck a few times. The police came and assumed it to be an overdose. 
Now the worst part is that for two weeks after the body removal, the tent stayed up, the police ordered it to remain as evidence, and every time you rode by, you could smell it from a hundred feet away. I was surfing in the dead of winter at Sandy Hook in NJ with a buddy. There were pretty good waves and a strong north current. We drifted several hundred yards down the beach. When we came out, there was a mannequin half frozen in the sand. Turns out it's a dead fat, or bloated, shirtless guy on the beach in the surf line. We alerted a ranger, and a few minutes later, cops and an ambulance arrived. Four responders tried to pull him loose so they could move him, and his arm broke off. I think this was around 89. I worked as a receptionist in a warehouse selling tobacco, beverages, and candy, and we had a few trucks out in our back lot that we were trying to sell. My coworker, who was 22 years old, was told to go try and count how many tires were in one of the trucks to get a total so we could sell those too. A little while later, he came back into the office and told me the truck smelled awful but couldn't tell what it was and that it burned his nose. He couldn't get to the back of the truck to see what it was, so we figured it must have been a dead mouse. A few days later, the truck and tires included were bought, and as the guy was driving away, one of our warehouse workers commented about if there's a dead body in there, don't bring it back. He had a warped sense of humor. Another couple of days go by, and I show up to work and see a few cop cars in our lot. They informed us that when the guys were cleaning out the tires from the truck, they saw feet that were sticking out upside down from one of the stacks in the back. It turned out to be a homeless man that used to sit a couple of buildings down from us every morning. He had been sleeping in there, was drunk, and got stuck and passed. When my coworker realized it was an actual human dead body that he had smelled, he instantly got sick and threw up right in the office. Police questioned him about the situation, and he was shaking the entire time. He's fine now, but he said he'll randomly get that smell in his nose and will get sick every time. The area I used to live in has a lot of retirement homes. Sometimes the old people would walk off. Escorted one back once, who came walking half-naked through the snow. I asked him where he was going, and he replied, going home, son. Wife is cooking chicken today. I'm pretty sure he believed it, but I convinced him to follow me to the nearby retirement home, where I was told he sometimes managed to slip out the door. Anyway, unfortunately, I've also found another old guy early in the morning on my way to work, who wasn't found before it was too late. I was on a project in Georgia for several months in the early 90s. I was taking a worker to the hospital to get something removed from his eye. On the way to the hospital, we drove up to a horrific accident, it must have happened only seconds before we pulled up. It was a late 80s firebird with three women, one of them very pregnant, and an infant. The other vehicle was a large dump truck. I rushed to the car and tried to open the passenger door, but it was too mangled. I ended up removing the remaining glass from the back and diving headfirst into the car. The infant was on the floor of the front passenger side, lifeless. I wriggled through everything and picked it up as carefully as I could, and yelled for someone to pull me out. I then handed the baby over to a woman who said she was a nurse. I went back into the car and took the pulse of the driver, she was the pregnant one and was basically crushed at the waist, nothing. The woman in the back seat started moaning, and I did my best to keep her from moving around, so I just spoke with her and held her head still. The woman in the passenger seat was unconscious, but breathing, barely. About that time, 
the first responders showed up, and I asked me to stay where I was if I could while they removed the mangled metal around us, I was also applying pressure to a bad laceration on the woman. Those guys were really good at their jobs and had the top and passenger door off in minutes. They replaced my shaking hands with a backboard, etc., and then I was picked up and moved out of the way. About the time I got sat down exhausted, I got word that the infant had started breathing, thanks to that awesome nurse, and was being life-flighted to Atlanta. Since I was originally taking a worker to the hospital, we continued on our original mission. At the hospital, I told one of the ER doctors what we had just left and that they should expect some major trauma shortly. Fifteen minutes later, they brought in the woman from the back seat, she lived as far as I know. The two women in the front and the unborn child were brought in by ambulance but were never unloaded. The doctor just went into the ambulance and pronounced them dead. Two things that stay with me from that are one, I will never forget the smell of that much blood for the rest of my life, and two, I will never forget the sound of the dump truck driver crying on the side of the road, he just kept saying that they pulled out right in front of him and there was nothing he could do, and never stopped asking if they were dead or not. We were having an addition built off our garage, so workers were regularly in and out depending on what was going on, completely separate from the house. We have a large, circular driveway, and there was a place somewhat removed from the view of the house where the different trucks would park. One day I went down on foot to the road to get the mail, it was this time last year, and I was waiting for our tax refund checks, and caught something out of the corner of my eye that didn't look right. I did a double take and realized one of the workers was lying face down on the pavement behind the open door of his truck. If I hadn't been walking down to the mailbox and looked over at the right angle, I might not have even seen him. I ran over and shouted to find out if anyone else was around but got no answer. I looked at him, and he was a terrible color, and his eyes were open and staring. I had no idea how long he'd been there, but it didn't look like he was breathing. Not knowing what else to do immediately, I ran into the house, yelled for my wife and grabbed my cell phone, and dialed 911 as I ran outside, try doing that when you are in a controlled panic, it feels like it takes forever. Back outside, the 911 operator was walking me through checking to see if he was breathing, he wasn't, if he had a pulse, he didn't, and if he was warm or cold, he was cold. And purple. Fortunately, we're very close to emergency services, the fire station is under 2 miles away. So by the time the operator was starting to tell me how to walk through CPR, there was already an unmarked unit arriving. That was the guy who got to work on the CPR. So, the end of the story is that he indeed had died. He was there to do some wiring, and he just fell over, apparently on a cigarette break since there was a pack with loose cigarettes on the ground next to him. They never did get his heart started again. He was DOA at the local hospital. Probably a heart issue since I understand that when they opened his shirt, they found chest scars. He was in his 60s and lived alone, there was apparently some initial mess figuring out who his next of kin even was. Sad. I grew up in a small town. My best friend lived 10 minutes away, walking distance, and we would always hang out after school and during summer break. His dad had left years ago, and his mom was a horrible alcoholic. She didn't work, and they were very poor. Pretty sure she lived off of disability and maybe some child support? Anyway, what money she did have she spent on herself and booze? It was very common for me to just walk in the front door and just head to his room to hang out as his mom was usually passed out from her drinking binges. I knew his life was bad, 
so I did everything I could to help make it suck just a little bit less. The summer of 98 was the last time I saw him. I was mowing lawns for people to earn some extra money. My stepdad was a carpenter, so he helped me get clients. My goal was to save up enough money to buy my best friend a Nintendo 64. It had been out for two years, and we both wanted it so bad. We loved playing the NES and SNES, so the N64 was this holy grail for us. Well, I finally saved up enough money from my allowance and mowing lawns, went and bought the N64 and a few games. It was supposed to be a happy and proud moment. I rode my bike over to his house with the N64. I couldn't wait to see the look on his face. I just knew he was going to love it. I got to his house, threw my bike down, and ran inside. His mom wasn't home. I went to his room and threw the door open to find that my best friend had hung himself. His body was facing the door, and his eyes were open. I'll never forget that look. I was shocked and frozen in place. My whole body felt numb. After what felt like an eternity, I called 911 and just waited, sitting outside with the N64 still in the bag. 911 came, and the cops. It was another 45 minutes before his mom got home. By this time, the cops had asked me all the questions and told me it was okay to go home. They offered me a ride, but I told them I lived just down the street. They were going to stop by my house later to check and see if I was okay. As I walked to my bike, I felt such anger towards his mom. I looked her dead in the eyes and told her this was her fault. I rode my bike home and told my mom everything. It took me years to heal because, after a while, I felt guilty. Maybe if I hadn't been spending so much of that last summer mowing lawns and hanging out with him more, maybe he would still be here today. I don't know what happened to his mom. Shortly after, my mom thought it best to move in with my dad. That meant a new school and new friends. I still own that N64 and play it with my son. My son uses the controller that I bought for my best friend, Caleb. I found my brother who overdosed on opioids in his bedroom two years ago. He literally slept and died five feet away from me across a hallway. The stench of death was like a pile of wet leaves. That musty odor that is very hard on the nose kind of smell. I had to watch him get carted out in a body bag, and it was just surreal for a while. I found a person that drowned. I was 14 tubing down the river with some friends. I went just a little off the main current and found his body resting in the middle of the river on a gravel bank. The fellow was on holiday, and his hip waders pulled him in and down in fairly shallow water within the hour before. We went to the nearest house and called the police. The three of us helped the police pull the 350-pound fellow in one of our inner tubes against the current for about 60 yards to the closest place a vehicle could reach. His widow wanted to meet us for whatever reason. We obliged. I told her he just looked peaceful, like he was sleeping when I found him. This naturally made her cry, but I don't regret saying that. I think she needed the closure. I don't know. It kind of makes me cry still 20 plus years later thinking of her and how precious life really is. I was in BC, and the couple was visiting to fly fish from West Virginia. I remember that. I hope she's doing well wherever she is. I was a US Army MP. We got a call about a foul odor in the barracks. I got the master key, started opening doors. I found a guy lying in front of his bed, dead.
whiskey bottle by his side with a Valentine's Day letter written to his estranged wife that sounded more like a suicide note. No one suspected anything at first because he took leave for a week. They thought he left town. He was sad on Valentine's Day, so he drank himself to death, poor bastard. Two things still haunt me. First is the smell. It's one of those odors that get in your sinuses and sticks like glue. I can still smell it. The second was the EMTs picking him up off the floor. When you die, all the blood pools towards gravity. He had fallen on his side, and his face was completely flat on one side. I was 19, the first job, and without a car, so my sister would pick me up. Sometimes she would go out to dinner with her dad, he was basically a second father to me, and my little brother. They picked me up on February 20th. On the drive home, my sister's car started making noises, and so she pulled over onto a side road a mile from our house, she wasn't sure the car would make it. The last time it made noises, it broke down on her. Her dad, let's call him John, decided it was a mile, he'll walk through the snow and come pick us up in his car. It wasn't really that bad of a walk, sidewalks were clear, and all main roads. He called 10 minutes later that he was having a little trouble breathing and he was gonna keep going. 10 more minutes to buy and we try calling him, no answer. My other sister just got off of work and drove to look for him. 10 more minutes, and she is panicking that she can't find him. I get out of the car, telling my sister, the one who picked me up, that I'll retrace his steps and catch up with him, see what's wrong. Just stay with our brother and keep him calm. I make it a block when I find John face down in the snow. He's a big guy, and I'm a small girl, easily double my weight. I try to roll him over, but I just can't. I call 911 and tell them where he was. By this time, my sister called our older brother. He runs to our location and finds me panicking, still trying to roll John over, get a response from him. My brother rolls him over. I will never forget what John's face looked like. The abnormal color, the fluids, the way his glasses weren't sitting properly. I watched my brother performing CPR, but by the time the ambulance showed up, we knew it was too late. My sisters both show up, a neighbor came and picked up our little brother, and I'm doing my best to keep them from seeing him. We head to the hospital, where they inform us he died of cardiac arrest. It broke my sisters and my brothers. I used to be one of those people where bodies just did not bother me, but I can't do them anymore. I can't see one without thinking of John and breaking down. I made it through his funeral, only because he was cremated. I couldn't go to my grandfather's because it was an open casket, and I'm not sure if I can go to another open casket funeral again. I miss John every day, and I always will. I came home from work one afternoon and was watching TV. I realized I hadn't seen my best friend slash roommate in almost two days. He was diabetic and also a raging cocaine addict. He wasn't great at managing his diabetes, and twice in the past, I've had to take him to the hospital because of it. I was pretty worried about him, so I went upstairs to check on him. His bedroom door was slightly ajar. I called out his name and tapped on the door. I could see his legs hanging over the side of his bed, and I poked the door open. He wasn't moving at all. I called out his name again, and that's when I saw the shotgun lying across his chest. Then I saw his face and what used to be the top of his head. He had put a 20 gauge in his mouth sometime during the day and pulled the trigger. 
I was in absolute shock. There were insulin needles and empty Coke bags everywhere and a plate with a few grams on the bed next to him. It looked like he had done nothing but Coke and insulin for weeks and hadn't cleaned. We hadn't been getting along and weren't talking much, so I was oblivious to the state of his floor of our townhouse. In a panic, I started to clean the room, trying to hide the evidence. But there was just too much, and being in the room with the blood and aftermath was just too much. I went in and out of the room a few times and got as much as I could. But the shock set in, and I gave up and went next door to call the police. Afterward, I was charged with two felonies just because I lived there. The experience gave me severe PTSD. It was 10 years ago last month, and I'm still in therapy. That image and the guilt that I didn't do more to help him will haunt me for the rest of my life. We found two. I'm part of search and rescue. Avalanche, double fatality. 17 and 18 year olds. We didn't really even have to look hard. One of them still had cell tower contact. So we got coordinates from there. I got close and switched to avalanche beacons. They were wearing them, found the two of them buried about two meters under the snow, about five meters apart from each other. Don't go out in the backcountry when the avalanche danger is high to extreme, especially not going near a known frequent killer slope. I don't want to have to retrieve your body and then try not to cry when your bawling father thanks me and my team for risking our lives retrieving the body of his son. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.